Welcome to Industry Focus, the podcast that dives into a different sector of the stock market every day. Today is Thursday, December 1st, 2016, so we're talking about energy, materials, and industrials. I am Sean O'Reilly, and I'm being joined in studio by one of our veteran contributing writer analysts, Mr. Adam Levine Weinberg. How's it going, Adam? Great. How are you, Sean? Not bad. I've uh, I've had you on the show, obviously, but you would like Skype in or something. So it's yeah. wonderful to see you in person. It is nice to be here uh, in the flesh. Um, so uh, I've been at the Fool for a little over three years, and you have been one of uh, not only one of my favorite Fool.com writers, but just one of the analysts that I trust the most. So uh, I did want to build you up a little bit for our listeners. Thank so. you. I appreciate that. <laughs> um, so uh, I asked you to join me here today. Because I I wanted to talk about uh, the surprising investments recently made by Warren Buffett's Berkshire Hathaway in the airline industry, which confounded me to no end. Um, But before we cover this story, uh, we've got to talk about the big news of the week, which is OPEC actually pulling off a production cut. Um, Did your jaw hit the floor? Uh, A a little bit. Um, It it seemed like it was going that way, but there were a, a lot of questions about whether OPEC would really get to a final agreement um, amongst its members, especially uh, Iraq and Iran, were pushing back a lot on the idea that they would have to cut production. They were very publicly mean to each other at times. <laughs> and well, I assume that's yeah. part of the negotiation process. It's part of the negotiation process, but you also have this problem where uh, the everybody in OPEC basically wants for OPEC to cut production. They just can't agree on who is going to do the the cutting. So Iran and Iraq would love for everybody else to cut production, because then they get to sell more at a higher price. The problem is when you need to cut, um, unless it's spread evenly, then you have certain countries. And in the past, it's usually been Saudi Arabia taking a lot of the brunt of lower production. Yeah. I remember I was in um, you know high school economics class, and you're talking about like perfect competition, mm-hmm. monopoly, all stuff. And then he, my professor talked about a cartel and OPEC. I mean, it's the quintessential example. And um, he's like, you have every incentive to cheat. It is. St- it doesn't make sense because it would be like, oh, if, if everybody just cuts production 2%, the price will double and everybody wins dollar-wise. And it is amazing to me how he was right. <laughs> yeah, I mean that's exactly true. Now, now we shouldn't um, right now assume that the the price of oil is going to double. Um, there's you know several. That was factors. a hypothetical. I apologize. No, yeah. that no, I, I I see the point that oil prices will all things equal go up, but there are some factors that are going to keep it down. First, you have really high inventories out there because of the past two or three years. Yeah, we got like five everybody's, yeah. you know, everybody's been pumping way too much, um, you know, at least a million barrels per day above um, what the actual demand has been, and so that's just all gone into storage. And even with this production cut, it's probably going to take a couple of years to get inventories back down to a more normal level. Got it. And on top of that, if oil prices go up by 10 or, or especially if they go up by $20 a barrel, um, you're going to see a lot of activity um, by U.S. shale shale oil companies. Uh, in the past two years, they've been forced to cut their costs by a lot um, and become much more efficient. And whereas um, in 2013 or 2014, you'd hear people throwing out, oh, you know, seventy dollars or eighty dollars a barrel is break even. These companies, a lot of them, are making money. Not a lot of money, but they're making some money at fifty dollars a barrel. So. Um, if you see yeah, those prices guys, go to seventy, they're going to be back in the market in a big way. For sure, yeah. No, those guys down in the Permian Basin. I mean, it is actually. You look at the cost curves of these companies since yeah. twenty twelve. It is just. I mean, you kind of have to tip your hat to them. Um, so, uh, bottom line, are you? Um, does today's news make you interested in any oil stocks? <laughs> um, 
marginally. I think that if you're if you're looking to to get into the oil market, it's not you know it's not a terrible time to start thinking about those companies. And I I'd really focus on the best in class, lowest cost producers because those are the ones that are going to be able to right. ramp up production um, um, while still actually making money, as opposed to a few years ago, ramping up production and not making any money. <laughs> Wouldn't that be nice to actually make money? Um, okay, so um, before we move on to talking about Warren Buffett's recent investments in the airline industry, I wanted to briefly mention to our listeners that if you are interested in getting Industry Focus's list of top investing books, just email us at industryfocus at fool.com with your own favorite investing book, and we will respond with our full list of the best books to improve your investing chops. All right, so. Adam, um, this is a slightly older story than I would prefer. We had the holidays and everything, but I immediately messaged you on Slack when this news hit the hit the wires. <laughs> yes. Berkshire Hathaway owns shares uh, in you know, of the four largest airlines. That's right. So you know, I recently turned thirty. I'm sorry to say, and it I've, I've been to all reading. Of us. Yeah, it's, it happens to the best of us. <laughs> um, I've been reading about Warren Buffett and just investing for half my life now. I wander in the library and I see these books, yeah. Warren Buffett Way, and all that stuff, and all of them talked about Buffett doesn't invest in airlines. He's done it before. Mm-hmm. He gets burned. He did the preferred shares in U.S. Airways. I mean, it was it, he always gets burned, and it's just a quintessential example of a Buffett mistake in that it's a commodity business. Yeah. And then this hits the wires, and I'm just I give up. I just I'm, I'm <laughs> done. I'm I'm just gonna go quit and live on an island. Like what? What did you think? Like wh- give us some context. What what's going on here? Yeah, so I'd say that that this news was much more surprising to me than the OPEC production cut. Um, Boom! Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> um, because Warren Buffett really has, for uh, for a good twenty years now, warned off investors at every opportunity from airline stocks, and you know, even when airlines have been profitable, he said, "Forget it; they're not sustainable businesses." I mean, what's that Stay quote? Away. He's like, had a capitalist that wanted to make money been at Kitty Hawk with Wilbur and Overwright, would have shot, shot them. Shot down. Them. Like, would have shot down the plane to you know stop you know stop the airlines from. That's you know, like, from, from, that's you know, kind of harsh, but man, <laughs> it, it's, it's, it's harsh. But um, what he was saying was basically, investors have um, found this allure in airline stocks for decades, and they've poured billions and billions and billions of dollars into the industry, um, and that's just in, in money that's been lost, not money that's right. been invested. Um, if you look over the whole history of the airline industry, it has been unprofitable. Yeah, um, and that's and you're after talking about the 90-year history, obviously. Yeah, that's yeah. decades and decades. So it's not it's not a, a bad industry cycle. It's just that's been the business for for history. Um, so it was definitely surprising to see Berkshire Hathaway buy these airline stocks. Now it's important to recognize that at this point, Berkshire is a really big conglomerate. Um, Buffett does not control all of the investing. He's got two lieutenants who. Uh, invest most of the sort of excess money that Berkshire Hathaway has, and so it's most likely that one of those two guys bought um, yeah, what's the first the, three airline stocks. What's the position sizes of these things? So it's not that big um, in total. Um, the The investment seems to be under a billion dollars. Yeah. So that's a lot of money for you know you and I, but um, but for Berkshire Hathaway, that's what. What do you mean? <laughs> that's Adam? small change. What are you saying? <laughs> <laughs> Um, so, so the, the first investments were in American Airlines, uh, which is the largest position, and then Delta Airlines and United Continental, and those are the three biggest um, carriers, the the remains of the legacy airline business, um, and those were probably not made by Buffett himself. Now, according to Buffett, at least, um, he was you know at a conference or something, and Herb Kelleher, who's the founder of Southwest Airlines, was there, and they're old friends, so they got to talking. 
and Buffett got back and kind of felt bad that oh, they'd invested no. in, in three of the four and, oh, and, and not Southwest Airlines. So he was like, let's buy some Southwest Airlines, too. Is that what Buffett's doing? Has he been uh, doing this for the last 50 years, and I just don't know it? Hopefully not. Is yeah. that what he's been doing, and he's just been really lucky? I just think, it would, you know, in this case, it was a small amount of money, and he felt he like if, 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 yeah. his, if his guys thought that the other three were good investments, he figured, you know, yeah. why not Southwest as well? So, um, really quick side note, um, I want to get your thoughts. I'm sure you're aware that um, uh, another brilliant investment manager, uh, David Pepper. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, he runs uh, Appaloosa Management. He's personally worth ten or eleven billion dollars. Not bad. Um, he made a bunch of money buying the airlines in. It was right after the Great Recession, but he it wasn't was really early. I mean, he was like two thousand ten or something. Uh, like, yeah, about. He made like two and a half, three times as money on American at, at least. And uh, I wanted to know what you thought about that. And then, I mean, why is Buffett late to the game on this? Like, what's going on? Yeah, so I I think that um, Buffett obviously was late to the game because he had this long-standing uh, bias. position. We'll yeah, call it bias. bias. For now. <laughs> All right, let's call it a bias. You know, against against airlines. You know, he'd said um, several years ago. I'll, I'll get the quote here. This is from the 2007 Berkshire Hathaway investor letter. Um, he said the worst sort of business is one that grows rapidly, requires significant capital to engender the growth, and then earns little or no money. Think airlines. Oh man! Um, and so and so he just saw these businesses as um, constantly wanting to grow, growing so fast that they need to buy lots of planes. Planes cost tens of millions of dollars. Um, you know, in some cases over a hundred million dollars a piece. Um, and then they, after they spent all this money to get started, they wouldn't actually make money. In the You're long subject run. to the vagaries of. Ticket prices, which I mean, Lord OPEC, only knows what. Yeah, know, or matter. OPEC, yeah, or right, yeah, that, actually, it's demand, it's oil prices, it's um, you know, late, whether you have labor labor troubles. Um, almost all of these airlines are have a lot of um, a high percentage of their workers are unionized, and every time you start to make money, the unions say we want you know bigger share of the profits, um, and to some extent, the airlines have to give in their customer service businesses, and so yeah. you know, for a couple of years, they can push back, but they can't. Um, have dissatisfied workers for a really long time, or it's going to start to um, have a, a major impact on their profit. One, you know, either way that they go. Um, so anyway, I think that uh, Tepper obviously saw uh, much earlier than Buffett that there have been some changes in the airline industry that are really promising. Um, the biggest, you know, what it really comes down to is airlines aren't trying to to just pursue growth, especially the larger airlines. Um, they recognize that they need to earn, they need to be businesses, and they need to make a reasonable return for their investors. And so, what you've seen is, um, when they're doing really well, they will grow at a you know four or five percent rate among these larger airlines. As soon as their profits start to take a hit, they pull back on capacity. And so, you've seen right now, um, during the second half of 2016, airline profits are starting to pull back a bit. And most airlines have already announced that for 2017, they're going to grow you know, 1%, grow 2%. Um, and so that slower growth means you don't need to spend as much money on new planes. Uh, so for our listeners, when you say growth, do you mean um, expanding routes? Do you mean buying new planes, CapEx? What did you mean? All right. Th- that's a good point. Um, by growth, I mean capacity growth. So um, the, the so main, seats. It's, it, it's, <laughs> it's seats, and it's also distance, right? So you know, sending one seat from New York to Beijing, Obviously, a lot more capacity than sending one seat from New York so, to Miami. This is an important in- airline industry term, like you know, with restaurants, uh, you know, same source sales growth is exactly a- okay. There we go. 
Yeah. So, so in terms of this capacity growth, um, the the term that sort of technical term is available seat miles, but it's basically how insert, insert eye roll. Yeah. Yeah. How far, how you know many miles do you send each seat, um, and then add that up across all the seats in your fleet, um, and so you you have about a two percent growth rate or less for uh, for the the three biggest airlines, American, Delta, and United, and those are um, are stocks that Tepper I believe has invested in in the past, made mm-hmm. a lot of money there, and that's where um, Buffett's lieutenants made their first investments uh, during the third quarter. So, with that slower growth. You have a, a, a better ability to keep fares high enough that you can earn double-digit margins or pretty close to it, which is something that the airline industry never really did. Looking yeah, so, back into previous um, cycles, uh, with everything that you've been saying, um, you know they're finally realizing, realizing that they need to make money. Um, is the airline industry after 80, 90 years finally realizing? Is it finally maturing? Like, what what does this mean? <laughs> Yeah, I think it is maturing. Um, certainly, a lot of the problem that you saw back in the the '90s and 2000s was that uh, the U.S. airline industry was regulated up until the late '70s, uh, and so you had after 1978 all of these airlines, which previously had the, the fares had been set by the government. Essentially, mm-hmm. their costs were really high; they didn't have to compete on cost, and so they didn't. And it's taken this long for the whole Got industry it. to shake itself out. Where, you know, new competitors. This is have that's a big in. deal. Yeah. And the thing is, you know, you've had Southwest Airlines, you know, sort of competing for a long time. But even as recently as 2000, they had something like five billion dollars of revenue, um, which was less than five percent of the industry. So even with a company like Southwest Airlines, that's a vigorous competitor, really low costs, they didn't have the ability to completely overturn industry pricing at that point in time. Right. Now you have enough. Of these um, small airlines, you've got in addition to Southwest, you have um, the ultra low cost carriers like Spirit Airlines and Frontier Airlines. You've got uh, people in the middle like JetBlue or Virgin America. With all of these companies, they've forced the legacy carriers to get their costs to a point where they're not at parity, but they have a reasonable cost structure where they can um, can make money year in and year out. Got it. Um, so, uh, really quick, do any of the uh, smaller carriers charge money for oxygen? <laughs> Not yet. Not yet. Okay, we'll we'll, we'll find out. Um, so, talk to me about um, valuations and just I, I'm I'm a return on capital equity mm-hmm. guy. Like, talk to me about that stuff. Okay, so um, in the past few years, you've seen a lot of uh, focus in the airline industry on return on invested capital as a key metric that airlines should be thinking about. And all of the airlines, they have different targets. They have different definitions of return on invested capital. But they're basically attempting to keep that at about 15%, which is like a really strong number and something that you'd never had seen before in yeah. the airline industry. Um, and so far, they've you know so far so good. They've basically managed to do that um, across most of the major airlines uh, for several years running. Uh, yeah, I've always been amazed because like, I'll occasionally check in on Southwest because I'm a mm-hmm. regular customer. Southwest Airlines, if you're listening, I love you. Um, what is it? Love, it's good to be loved. Something is yeah. there anyway. Um, but I'm always like, wow, they actually make money. Like, yeah. And it's just because I have that bias of reading about Buffett for 15 years. Mm-hmm. I'm just like, what is this free cash flow? Like, what's going on? So, um, so where are these guys trading? Because every yeah, it, it might be that the industry is improving. It's just profile. What what's going on? So, so one of the important things for investors to realize is that airline stocks are still 
relatively cheap compared to the rest of the market, but they're not trading at such a big discount that you can't explain it by you know the higher risk of the airline industry. Right. If you look back to 2010, 2011, a lot of airline stocks were literally trading at four times earnings or five times Which is times when Tepper earnings. got in. So, and that's when yeah. Tepper got in. That's why he made so much money, because not only did you have some multiple expansions since then, um, but the, earn, the earnings, the, mean, the earnings went up by a lot. Yeah. yeah. And some of that was related to oil prices falling in 2014 and 2015, but it wasn't all just oil. Um, even before the oil prices fell in 2014, industry profits were on the rise. Right now, if you look at American Airlines and United Continental, two of the stocks that um, that Berkshire Hathaway bought, they're trading for uh, 10 or 11 times forward earnings. So it's, it's less than the market, but not a lot less. Um, Delta is a little bit under that. Southwest is a little bit above that. Um, but that's after huge rallies in the past few months. Mm-hmm. So we don't really know exactly when in the past five months Berkshire Hathaway bought these stocks. If you just look back to the beginning of July, um, since then, some of these stocks have rallied by more than 50%. So just because uh, Berkshire was interested uh, four or five months ago, it doesn't mean that they would go and do the same thing today. Got it. That's uh, and point. so that's why you as an investor shouldn't necessarily run out and say, oh, Warren Buffett bought a bunch of airline stocks, I should too. Right. Um, so, really quick, do you. Buffett likes monopolies, not like literal monopolies, yes. but like consumer monopolies, just something. Is and this isn't a, mono, a, a monopolistic situation, but it it feels a little bit like possibly an oligopolistic. Just like there's three or four big players that are really crushing it and actually making money. Finally, is is that part of his thinking? Like, okay, so they deregulated in '78. It's been an absolute massacre in terms of competition for 30 years. Is it now finally time for you know? Uh, uh, I'm not comparing American Airlines and Southwest and U.S. Airways to to Coke and Pepsi, but is it a little bit like that? I think that that's part of the story. Um, I think that's probably why um, more investors are getting interested because they see that there's now four companies that that can together control more than eighty percent of the domestic market, at least, um, right. and a, a good chunk of the international market as well um, out of the U.S. And so they each have a, a stake in making sure that the industry is profitable because you know. If they they know that if they go out and grow seven percent, everybody else is going to do the same thing, and it's going to hurt industry profitability by quite a bit. Um, and so consolidation has, in that way, helped the airlines to um, to take a more balanced approach to capacity growth um, and and not grow when they're not making enough money to justify it. Got it. What? Um, okay. So taking a step back, um, it's I mean, happy December. We've got this news recently. It was extremely jarring, at least for me, that Buffett invested in airlines, at least recently, or his company did. Um, what do you think of where the stocks are now? Which is your favorite carrier? Help our listeners out. Yeah, so right now, I would say that um, I've actually, in the last two months, myself uh, sold my personal positions in both American Airlines and United Continental. I thought that they were, you know, looked like really good buys when I bought them, um, but that was quite some time ago. And with the stocks having risen so much in the last few months, I didn't really see enough upside to justify the risk of holding on to that. Um, And I also personally had a lot of money invested in the airline industry, and I kind of wanted to diversify. Um, That said, I actually think that if I were in Buffett's shoes, I wouldn't have gone and invested in the four largest airlines in the industry. I think that some of the smaller carriers out there actually have better prospects for investors right now. 
Um, if you look at companies like Spirit Airlines and JetBlue, they are trading for very similar earnings multiples compared to these m- much larger companies, um, but they have, due to their smaller size, vastly more growth potential. Um, if you look at, at Spirit Airlines, um, the whole ultra-low-cost segment right now uh, is about 5% of the market, and in Europe, uh, it's at least 20%. So this is just a, a movement towards um, towards cheaper fares, more fees for add-ons that has really succeeded in other places, and it's just getting started in the United States. And so that's a company that has a huge runway for growth. And I think that in 10, 15 years, Spirit Airlines is going to be three, four, five times its current size um, and making a lot of money. So that's one stock that I think is is really compelling right now. Um, and JetBlue Airways is another example. They've done really well in the and US. And they're only, I'm sorry to interrupt, 15 or 20 years old, correct yeah, me if JetBlue, I'm wrong. JetBlue, yeah, JetBlue, you know, first flight was in February of 2000. So, you know, in the grand scheme of things, they haven't been around that long. Um, and they're actually already the fifth largest airline in the US, but they're way behind the top four. Uh, some of the, the big initiatives that they're working on right now are um, growing in Boston, where they've actually now become the, the largest airline, and that's the only metro area where they really have a leadership position like that. Mm-hmm. And so they're starting to attract business traffic, which was never really their thing. They'd always been a primarily leisure carrier. And they've been moving even further into the business market with their new Mint product, which came out a couple years ago. And this is a new aircraft uh, configuration that they're using just on transcontinental flights, mostly out of New York and Boston right now. But they're also going to be adding some other cities. And they've found that fares, uh, on average, go up about 20% when they put these planes on their new route, because the first, the 16 seats in the front have uh, they've converted into fully flat beds that are like six and a half feet long, and so. You've got business travelers who would never fly JetBlue for a transcontinental flight because they want more space like you could get on some other airlines. And now that JetBlue is offering this at a a lower cost, um, they're having huge success, and they see a lot of room for growth in that market over the next three, four years. So JetBlue is having a lot of success with letting people flying the red eye to sleep. Yeah, yeah. (laughs) And 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 this even is popular during the daytime. People just want more space. if they can get it at a reasonable price, it's, right. it's certainly not as cheap as your typical ticket. Um, but sure. some of these, they're going for as little as six hundred dollars one way. Which, you know, when sometimes you could pay three or four hundred dollars um, for a coach seat, yeah. that's a, a pretty good deal to get that much space and you get great meals and top-notch service. For sure. Well, Adam, thank you for your thoughts. I am sure. Thank you for having me on the show. I am sure we're going to talk about this in the future because, again, I just it's shocking. Yeah, it's a big, uh, it's a big development. Yeah, for sure. Uh, Well, that is it for us, folks. We'd like to give a shout-out to our awesome producer, Dan Boyd. Also, before we conclude the podcast, do you own an Amazon Echo? Now you can get the brand-new skill from The Motley Fool. You can get stock quotes, create a watch list, ask Alexa how your portfolio is doing, and it is free. For more details, include a demo of how it works. Just go to www.fool.com forward slash Alexa. Lastly, once again, thanks to my guest, Adam Levine-Weinberg, for joining us today. And as always, people in this program may have interest in the stocks they talk about, and The Motley Fool may have formal recommendations for or against those stocks, so don't buy or sell anything based solely on what you hear in this program. For Adam uh, Levine-Weinberg, I'm Sean O'Reilly. Thanks for listening, and Fool on!